0: You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer powered, listener supported.
1: Community Radio for South Central Indiana.
2: Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Cade Young.
0: And I'm Sydney Foreman. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, May 27, 2020.
2: Later in the program, WFHB Assistant News Director Sydney Foreman and myself provide an update on the Bloomington Hospital site.
0: Also coming up in the next half hour, Better Beware, hosted by Richard Fish. But first, your local headlines. Bloomington Board of Public Works approved a request for right-of-way use on Kirkwood Avenue from Strasser Construction. Public Improvements Manager Sarah Gomez said right-of-way would take place on 115 Kirkwood Avenue. She said utility relocation delayed the project. Those issues have now been resolved and Strasser is requesting to use the right-of-way with a few updates. Phase 1 of that approval has already taken place for utility connections, so the new approval request is only for Phase 2. During phase two, the petitioner is planning to place a six-foot chain-link fence along Kirkwood Avenue and Washington Street into the sidewalk and parking lanes. A a protected pedestrian walk-around will be provided on both Kirkwood and Washington Street. The east and west and north and south alleys adjacent to the project will be closed at times, as indicated on the project schedule. The north-south alley closures would be coordinated with the property owners like located west of the construction site to maintain access for trash pickup and for deliveries to those businesses. Gomez said Strauss Construction has agreed to pay meter fees of approximately $27,000 before meter block-off. She said signage would be implemented at the beginning of construction. Gomez said construction would take place from June 15, 2020, through July 23, 2021, During the meeting, board members also discussed change orders to the Kirkwood Maintenance Project. Senior Project Manager Roy Ayton said change orders were for sidewalk repairs and bollard drainage.
3: During construction, it was discovered that a tripping hazard existed at the northwest corner of Kirkwood and Washington. EMB had been directed to repair the hazard and it is now asking for an additional $3,160 for that work. And then change order number three is for the installation of drainage for the bollard sleeves. After letting, the supplier for the bollards notified us that the bollard sleeves require drainage in order to perform correctly. ENB has been directed to follow the recommendation and is asking for an additional $2,520 to cover the cost of the installation of the bollards. Approval of both change orders will raise the contract price by $5,680 to
0: $1,084,272.95. Board members unanimously approved the change orders. The Kirkwood Maintenance Project is projected for a June 30th completion.
2: Indiana State Department of Health reported 370 new positive cases and 21 new deaths from COVID-19. That brings the total number to 32,437 positive cases and 1,871 deaths caused by the virus. This comes after 235,333 total tests were issued. 13.8% of total tests came back positive. There are about 6.85 million people living in Indiana. That means less than 4% of the state's population has been tested. Meanwhile, Indiana moved to Stage 3 of its reopening plan on Memorial Day weekend. For more on what Stage 3 means for Indiana residents, check out our coverage from Monday's newscast on WFHB.org.
0: Monroe County Deputy Auditor Chris Munch presented the monthly Food and Beverage Report to the Food and Beverage Tax Advisory Commission during their May 26th meeting. Munch announced the numbers received for April 2020.
2: Total amount received $204,681.51. The city's portion of that is $185,505.52. And the county's portion, $19,175.99.
0: Commission member Cheryl Munson said the 2020 April collections saw about a $140,000 decrease from the April 2019 collections. Munch clarified April's report covers collections made in March. He said the report also saw fewer payers.
2: WFHB News correspondent Alex Dieterer reports on three local headlines today. We turn to Alex Dieterer for more.
4: Tuesday began early in person voting for the 2020 primary election. In April, the Indiana Election Commission ordered that in person early voting will take place from May 26th to June 1st. Around 335 Monroe County voters cast their ballots at Monroe County Election Central Tuesday. According to the Herald Times, Monroe County Election Supervisor Karen Wheeler said her office has sent out nearly 23,000 ballots to voters who requested to vote by mail in the 2020 primary election. As of Tuesday, she has received a little over 8,000 back, she said. In-person early voting will continue until noon, June 1st. Voters of Monroe County can cast their early ballots at Election Central at 401 West 7th Street. Voters can also wait until Election Day to cast ballots in person at the polling location that corresponds to their voting precinct. To locate your Election Day polling location, visit MonroeCountyVoters.us. With the reopening of Indiana underway, businesses are eager to open their doors to their social distancing community members. Indianapolis is allowing restaurants to expand outdoor seating in an effort to bring in sales amidst the reopening. Facility Concepts, a Boone County furniture manufacturer, is offering free outdoor chairs to locally owned independent businesses as a way to alleviate some of the unprecedented expenses for small restaurants. There are six styles of outdoor chairs that are being offered, normally retailing between $100 to $150 a chair. In cooperation with Simon Properties, Hoosier Hills Food Bank gave out free food to anyone in need in College Mall's East Parking Lot Saturday. According to Executive Director and CEO of the Food Bank, Julio Alonso, the event provided 465 households with the equivalent of more than 21,000 meals. With volunteer support provided by the Indiana National Guard, each household also received a bottle of hand sanitizer and information on SNAP benefits and food pantries, all done in a drive-through procedure. For WFHB, I'm Alex
0: Dieterer. Bloomington Utilities Service Board approved an amendment to service agreement with Hydromax USA Incorporated. During their May 26 meeting, City Engineer Brad Schroeder said the amendment was for additional valve exercising.
5: We went under contract with them this year to do uh, valve turning services. So they're going around our distribution system and uh, exercising valves for us. And we basically have a one-year contract with with an option to extend up to four additional years because it's a five-year program and we'll have exercised every valve in our system over five years. So we've divided it up. And this year, and the way they do it is that we provide them with maps of where they should go uh, turn valves. And this year there was, on the last, right at the end of it, we got a uh, kind of like, lack of a better word, messed up on the count. So they actually turned more valves than they were under contract to do for this year. So we're decreasing the number of valves they do next year. And then we're going to modify this year's contract to pay them for doing the extra balance they did this year.
0: Shorter said the contracting cost is $66,000 per year. He said the amendment would add approximately $2,300 to accommodate extra work done this year and subtract the same amount from next year. Board members unanimously approved the amendment. The City of Bloomington purchased land from IU Health in 2018 and plans on deeply involving the community in the redevelopment of the site. WFHB's Sydney Foreman and Kate Young dive into how the community will be involved in the redevelopment and the history of the site. The City of Bloomington has held a Hospital Reuse Committee since 2015. Over the years, this group has worked with the City on the redevelopment of the current IU Health Bloomington Hospital. This group is made up of about 30 community members who have been recently joined by the architecture and urban planning firm Skidmore Owen & Merrill, or SOM whom the Bloomington Redevelopment Commission approved to create a master plan for the site. Community members, both on the committee or not, are being given the opportunity for community involvement with SOM's design process. The city purchased the 24-acre site from IU Health for $2.8 million in 2018. As part of the purchase agreement, the hospital is required to remediate the site meaning any environmental or public health safety concerns on the site must test clean before the land is developed. At this time, the city hired the Urban Land Institute, a national consulting firm, according to a WTIU article. After consulting with residents in the area, the Urban Land Institute concluded that the community would like to see residential space developed. The city decided to use this land to develop affordable housing to help meet community goals for affordable housing, sustainability, and equity. However, Bloomington Deputy Mayor Mick Renison said only a portion of the property would be developed into affordable living.
1: And that we certainly all recognize we have challenges of affordability in our community with housing ownership and rental. So we certainly think there's a place for that here. How much of that percentage of the space that will be used for that, I think we're not certain. And that's why we are starting with the public engagement and asking our experts, consultants that we've hired to help advise us. And of course, the market will ultimately say whether or not the plan that's devised is manageable or not. We're trying to make sure we involve people who are in that realm of understanding what the market will um, bear, if you will. So other things to think about are, you know, on this space, should there be commercial or retail? Uh, should there be, there's a big parking garage, we've already decided we want to keep that. So what goes around that parking garage? How do we best utilize that asset? And what makes sense in terms of a percentage of commercial and retail space in the area?
0: Development doesn't have to be just structural or industrial. Portions of the land could be used for housing in similar purposes, but other portions could also be made into green space, such as pedestrian paths or gathering space. Renneisen said public spaces could play off of the existing public spaces surrounding the area.
1: we got some parks in the area that are nearby, the new Switchyard parks within a half mile. Building and Trades is across the street. The B-Line is actually adjacent to the property. Seminary Park's not far from there. So all those connections are going to be explored. And then what, on the 24 acres itself, what kind of green space and or public space should be there.
0: Bloomington City residents are invited to actively participate in the redevelopment of the current hospital site planning process. The process is projected to unfold over one year. Community interaction will take place through a website that will be published on June 1st. Renison said the website is still currently under design, but he described the general concept. He said a focus group, consisting of some members from the 2018 Urban Land Institute process, stakeholders, and a few additional members, have been put together to assist SOM with the initial starting point of drafting conceptual plans. He said as the plans develop, the community will be able to interact and make suggestions on the website.
1: Um, And then they'll start putting those on the website so that members of the community can interactively leave comments and look at the rendered options that appear um, as they change in real time over the course of the six to seven months that it'll take to finish the master planning process. So we think it's a really great way for people not to have to come to a public meeting. For one thing, you can't do that now anyway, Uh, so this interactivity feature we think allows for kind of maximum input.
0: Reneisen said community members could also leave emails or call representatives from the planning firm. However, using the website, emails, or calls isn't the only way to get involved. On June 16th at 6 o'clock, a virtual Zoom meeting will be held to communicate ideas with the development team. Reneisen said a notice would be sent out to all residents who pay Bloomington Utilities, asking them how they would prefer to see community involvement. But how will SOM make sure that all of the community's voices are heard? Renison said they have a group specialized to public engagement.
1: They have a group called the Core Planning Strategies that are their public engagement arm, and there's a couple of people associated with that firm that are specifically involved in the public engagement aspects. They have engineers and other folks that are helping them, uh, economic advisors that will all join the team at various segments along the planning process, but At this stage, mostly it's SOM leading with core planning, uh, initiating the public engagement. Of course, we have our own public engagement staff at the city, and we're all working closely with our hired consulting team on the project.
0: The potential development, from affordable homes to green spaces with public art, lies in the hands of the community. Those whose voices are heard are the voices that will determine the outcome for the IU Health Bloomington Hospital site. One thing the city has decided is that they will keep the parking garage on the hospital site. However, the fate of the historical core building has yet to be determined. During the redevelopment process, the city must come to terms on what to do with the building. For the history of the building, we turn to Cade Young.
2: Over two years ago, the Urban Land Institute partnered with the City of Bloomington to offer suggestions on land use planning and development for the new hospital site. The partnership consisted of a panel discussion during the week of April 8th through April 13th in 2018. Urban Land Institute or ULI was tasked with a number of questions from the city. Among them were quote, "Will the parking garage in the administration building benefit the future of the site should either or both of these structures be kept for reuse?" and quote. Now the city already announced it will keep the parking garage, but the core administration building is still up in the air. According to ULI's panel report, the panel did research on the city and region, site visits, and interviews with more than 100 community members. The ULI Advisory Services panel report recommended, quote, demolish the core administration building to free up the site for new development while enabling connectivity, end quote. The core administration building was named after former Bloomington Hospital President Roland Core. It is reportedly the oldest existing building on the property. In 2018, when news first broke that the city would acquire the hospital site, Mary Catherine Carmichael told the Indiana Daily student that the building is not recognized as an historical landmark. However, she said the property does have some historical value. According to a Historic Preservation Commission meeting in June of last year, there was talk of developing guidelines for historical preservation for the core building. In the commission meeting packet, it read, quote, Chris Sturbaum noted that he asked Connor Hederick to start developing guidelines for historical designation for the core building, for the old hospital building. If they wait, there could be issues for historical designation in the future. End quote. The commission meeting packet went on to say that there are issues with the core building itself. It said upon demolition of the hospital, the core building will have no utilities connections as they were operated through the old hospital building. I reached out to Connor Hederick Historic Preservation Program Manager. I wanted to talk to him about the future of the Roland Corps administration building. Hedrick said he needs clearance from his boss before going on the record to the media about the city's future plans for the core building. He said it's a sensitive issue with the city. The city has yet to release any plans on whether they will demolish the historic site or preserve it. However, Hedrick said he would go on the record about historical background of the building. Here is that interview. Okay, so what is the historical significance of the core administrative building?
5: The core administrative building. It wasn't the first hospital on the site, um, but it's it's part of the evolution of the Bloomington hospital site, and you know tied to the history of medicine and healthcare in the city. And it's the oldest surviving building from uh, the original hospital site as well. So um, that's why it's significant historically. So you know, just a brief background: uh, the very first Bloomington hospital um, was a two-story brick Italianate farmhouse. It was purchased by the uh, local council of women in 1905. Um, and that served as you know, a hospital uh, for you know, approximately 10-15 you know, years. Um, and then after World War I, uh, they had to expand services. You had a lot of vets coming home, who needed treatment, and they built a a limestone building in 1919. uh, I believe it had about 30, 35 beds. And then World War II comes and goes, and we have GIs returning from World War II. And the same situation happens again. We need to expand our hospital, our facilities, our our care for our veterans and other things. And so that's when the the core building was built, which is 1947. So it it kind of falls into that pattern of um, local health care and really, the impact of of war on on on, on the American homeland, uh, because the Princeton Hospital site, you know, itself, as we saw two times, evolved in response to needs caused by uh, America at war. So I, I think that's why it's it's historically significant. Um, it's architecturally significant because it's one of the few examples of art deco uh in the city you know it's a very dressed down version of art deco um but there's certainly you can see some of the elements of the style uh with that kind of vertical vertical orientation of the um front of the building facing rogers the entryway and uh some of the artistic motifs that are done there in the limestone i uh, really you know cry art deco so um when I was in Bloomington for the first time, actually, and I happened to drive by this building, it immediately caught my eye as an Art Deco. Uh, there's not really a whole lot of examples in Bloomington of that. Another example I could think of is the Wix building on the square, but um, there's not a whole lot else out there. So I think those are two pretty strong cases for architectural and historic significance of the building.
2: Okay, so moving on from from the historical significance, there was talk in June of last year about designating the property for historical preservation. Whatever happened with those discussions?
5: So, um, uh, several members of the Historic Preservation Commission um, uh, were really interested in designating the building um, uh, they, you know, for really the above reasons, why I, uh, aforementioned reasons, that had value to the community historically. Um, and uh, they were kind of met with a little bit of pushback from the the city administration because the city didn't want to have any kind of obligation to keep the building. It it, it turned out that it needed to be demolished. Um, Nevertheless, the Historic Preservation Commission in December of 2019 um, actually did make a recommendation to the Common Council that the building be designated locally as historic. And that's really all the Historic Preservation Commission can do Once they make that recommendation and send that to the Common Council, then it's up to the council to make that final determination of uh, whether or not designation will occur. So, yeah, so essentially when the Historic Preservation Commission um, made a motion to forward this to council, they really made an affirmation affirmation that it meets the criteria to be designated locally. And in that uh, motion, I believe they listed which criteria. I believe it was 1A and 2G. Um, and it's a criteria you find in the city code in title 8 um, and you know said this is historically significant um, and then they sent it on to, to the council but the council has not yet uh, discussed this yet so it's kind of in limbo it's not designated yet
2: so um, all in all the property is not recognized right now as a local landmark although you did um, recommend it and it's kind of being debated upon is essentially the status of that
5: yeah. Um, yeah, it's not even being debated. It's, it's not going to be debated until it officially gets on a council agenda. Um, you know, who knows when that'll happen. It might have to take a council member to request that it be discussed.
2: So legally speaking, if a property is designated as an historical landmark, can it be demolished? It can be
5: demolished if it, re- it gets a Certificate of Appropriateness from the Historic Preservation Commission allowing demolition. So. Yeah, I mean there's there's properties that have been locally designated that are in local historic districts that get COAs for demolition every year. So it's not like once it's designated it's impossible to demolish. It's just it has to get through the commission and it's a lot more unlikely that that will be done.
2: Well, um do you have anything else to add about the historical significance of this property?
5: I guess I just kind of want to reiterate that you know it is the oldest surviving uh, building from the original Burlington Hospital site, um, it, it does have historic significance um, as part of the development um, of the city, tied to the healthcare history of healthcare and medicine in the city. So I, you know, would definitely like to to say for the record that it does have historic value. I fully support the adaptive reuse of historic buildings. It's part of the reasons why I got into the field. I, I think that this building uh, was built very well, very strongly, and it, it can certainly serve a, a new life and a new purpose and continue to serve the needs of the community in the
2: future.
0: For WFHB, I'm Sydney Foreman.
2: And I'm Cade Young. Now it's time for Better Beware, our weekly Consumer Watchdog segment, hosted and produced
3: by Richard Fish. Welcome to Better Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket.
6: Just because scammers are thinking up new ways to swindle you with coronavirus hooks doesn't mean they've stopped doing their good old, I mean, bad old, standbys. Duke Energy is warning of disconnection scams again. That's where you get a phone call or email from somebody claiming to be from Duke, maybe with the correct caller ID, threatening to cut off your electricity if you don't cough up money immediately. Don't fall for it. Duke isn't disconnecting anybody right now because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And if they do have a problem with your account, you'll get a letter in the mail, not a phone call or an email. And the con artists have been hitting on me which is pretty stupid of them, but does make it easier to write this column. Last week, I got four robocalls in an hour from area code 574-277-9500, and the caller ID said Apple Inc. I looked online, and it was a real number from an Apple store in Mishawaka. I called them and got a recording saying the store was aware that somebody has been spoofing their number. So I blocked it. You can do that. Check with your phone company. And I've gotten no less than four emails running the infamous money letter scam, or Nigerian 419 scam, a modern version of the Spanish prisoner game, which goes back centuries. Back then it was a stranger you met in a tavern. Then it became a letter in the mail, later a fax, and now it's an email. It says somebody overseas needs to move a whole lot of money into this country and they've picked you for the transaction. You stand to make millions if you just tell them who you are and send them some money. I checked the sender's emails, all foreign. The one from Poland just said they had processed your sent transaction and attached a spreadsheet, which would have installed ransomware on my computer if I'd been stupid enough to open it. The others all used lousy English that sounded like a bad movie. From the Philippines. I am Maman Phillips, director, foreign remittance department in Wima Bank of Nigeria. It was agreed to pay James Lee for his overdue contract payment of five million United States dollars only. Unfortunately, this Mr. Lee died in a motor accident, so I am fronting you as his next of kin. What? From Taiwan. This is origin of fund. The money was made through an over-invoice contract sum, remaining the balance which I seek to transfer into any of your nominated account. Ivey, From Germany. I am Mrs. Abigail Nolte from West Africa. This contact should be seen as the most urgency and attend to. T.O.O. Oh, come on. It sounds way too good to be true, and of course it is. But people fall for this stuff. Don't be one of them. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs.
3: Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at wfhb.org. If you can help put the kibosh on a con, email beware at wfhb.org. Remember... Swindlers never give a sucker an even break.
2: You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Alex Dieterer, Cade Young, and Sydney Foreman in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Sydney Foreman and Cade Young.
0: Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Our executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Sydney Foreman.
2: And I'm Cade Young. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent local news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast as well as other WFHB news programming online at wfhb.org.
0: You can be a part of our award-winning news team. For more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists, email news at wfhb.org.
2: Stay tuned for Cool Solutions, coming up next on WFHB.